0: Our scripture passage this morning is from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, so if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, you can look that up at this point, or you can follow along in the screens or in the bulletins. Uh, but as you're turning there, uh, I want you to think a little bit about stories, and I love stories. I love a good story. Uh, Do you know there's professional storytellers that are out there? who will just come and tell you stories for the fun of it. Um, but I think different people like different kinds of stories and uh, I of course like stories but I'm not afraid of a really good complex story. Some people just want something simple, something easy to follow, but I'm not afraid of really complex stories. I like the movies that that are kinda complex in their plots and then they all kinda come together and the movies that have these little plot lines that don't make a whole lot of sense in the moment but at the very end of the movie, they kind of take all these plot lines and they draw them all together in one big aha moment. There's the kinds of movies, the kind of stories uh, that I really love to look at. Well, I think the scriptures to some degree give both a simple and a complex story to them. And we've been looking at the story of God's covenants uh, throughout the summer, um, and it's been quite an adventure. We started with looking at Adam and Eve. We looked at how they failed in the Garden of Eden. But immediately in the midst of their failure, God began to hint that he, wa- he had a plan. And it was a rescue plan in which God was going to make right everything that had gone wrong. And so we've looked at these covenants, these terms of God's relationship with his people, uh, the terms of that relationship that he sets And each one of those covenants really is a plot string in that story of redemption. So Abraham, uh, Moses, David, Joshua, Nehemiah, all of these are plot strings that hint towards the end of God's story, or at least the culmination of God's story. And so this morning, as we get to the book of Jeremiah, uh, he begins to talk about that end, He talks about the consummation of God's plan, a time when all of the plot strings of God's story are going to come together in one brand new covenant. And of course, what we know from the Gospels is that all those plot strings tie together in the person of Jesus Christ, including the individual plot strings of each and every one of our lives. So I'm going to be reading just a few verses this morning uh, from Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to be reading verses 31 to 34. This is God's word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, our hearts pray what we just uh, sang. We pray that your spirit would come and visit us with your presence here. Father, I'm mindful of the story of the transfiguration when Christ was... Uh, Revealed in all his glory, and a voice came from heaven that said, Behold, this is my son. Listen to him. Father, I pray that as we encounter you and your word this morning, that we would listen to you, that our hearts would be changed, and that we would leave here transformed as a result because we have heard your voice speak to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. One of my uh, favorite television programs uh, is a show on the History Channel that's called American Pickers. I don't know if you have ever seen this show, uh, but they often have the marathons of them, and we'll sit for quite a long time and watch American Pickers. If you don't know anything about it, it's about two guys that get in a van, and they drive all throughout the country, and they go searching for uh, antiques and collectibles and they get invited into the homes of all sorts of different sort of people um, and they go through their garages and their homes looking for uh, unique treasures and all things of value. And uh, what I love about the show is the passion of these two men as they go and do it. They literally are very excited to dig through your own trash, right? And so that's what they do, looking for treasures. Uh, But what I also really like about the show is that they appreciate and find beauty uh, in things that are old and things that are traditional. And what I like about it is because as a culture, we seem to be so fixated on the new. And I think we're so fixated on the new sometimes that we miss out on the old and the value of tradition and the value of history. However, there is no denying that sometimes the good of the new is certainly better right? That sometimes the new, something that is new, is just better at the end of the day from what we've had previously. Uh, Just think about the invention of indoor plumbing, right? Nobody really wants to go back to the old outhouse system, right? We're all happy with the new of indoor plumbing, and that just certainly is the case sometimes in life. And so certainly when it comes to the covenants, when it comes to this new that is in the new covenant, things are not just better than the old, they're actually better than we can even imagine. And so as we look at this new covenant, I think we're first reminded of all that has come before in God's history, of all these covenants come before. And if there's anything that we've been reminded of throughout the whole summer, it's this that we serve and worship a God who is a covenant maker. God is a covenant maker. Throughout history, we've seen God has consistently taken the initiative in time and space and history to be in relationship with his creation, to be in relationship with humanity, to be in relationship with you and I. And we saw it first with Adam and Eve, the covenant that God makes with Adam and Eve, was really unique amongst all of the other covenants. It's called the the covenant of creation. And God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, I'm going to give you meaning, I'm going to give you purpose, I'm going to give you belonging, and you're going to live in this perfect existence in which you have a perfect relationship with me as your creator, a perfect relationship with creation that's all around you. You're going to have a perfect relationship with one another. But there was only one stipulation to that covenant. There was only one commandment. There was only one law, only one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, it doesn't take us long in the scriptures to recognize that Adam and Eve broke that very first covenant. They decided that they'd rather be their own authority. They didn't want to live under God's authority. In fact, they wanted to usurp the authority of God in their own lives, and so they broke that covenant. God, of course, comes to them, but he comes to them in grace. He comes to them not wanting to give up on them, not saying, I'm going to wash my hands of humanity because they've broken that first covenant very quickly. Instead, he says, I'm going to still relate to you, but from now on, I'm going to have to relate to you in a different way. So God takes the initiative again, but every initiative from that moment forward would be a gracious initiative, an initiative based on grace. It would be God approaching us, not because we are deserving of it, but because he longs to be gracious to each and every one of us. And so God is relational. He's a covenant maker, and the same is true for you and I. As we approach the scriptures, we can't deny that God longs to be in relationship with you, with us. He seeks a relationship with us. He longs for it. He desires in many ways to bind himself to you and I, to be in relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be a rudderless ship that is tossed about by the, the storms and the winds that life throws at us. Instead, he offers us a spirit of adoption. He offers us the ability to be in a relationship with him, to not just be in a relationship, but to be his very sons and daughters. And so we've seen throughout God as a covenant maker, but what we've also seen throughout, it becomes very clear from the beginning, is that you and I are covenant breakers, we have broken the covenant, and the depth of this is often lost upon us. Uh, our, book takes, uh, our, our, our verses take place in the context of the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet. Uh, his nickname was the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. And the reason he got that name is that he uh, ministered to God's people, the nation of Israel and Judah, uh, during a particularly difficult time in their history. Uh, They were not in a very spiritually good place, and because of that, they would have to bear the consequences for the fact that they were living against God's law. And what we learn is that two rival nations, a big bad nation named the Assyrians and an equally bigger and badder nation, the Babylonians, were on the doorstep of God's people ready to conquer them and to take them over. So as I said, God's people were in a spiritually very poor place. They were not following God. They were not living according to the covenant or according to his commandments. You see, God had designed his people to be unique. He he gave them a unique relationship with him, and they were to take that relationship and in many ways be a light shining on the hill for all the other nations to see what a relationship with God looked like. They were to be to demonstrate what a relationship with God was all about. But instead, the people had fallen into the sin of syncretism. And what that means is this, that they looked no different than the world that was around them. The culture that was around them, they looked just like it. They worshiped all the gods of the nations that were around them. They were supposed to be a nation unique in caring for the oppressed and needy in their midst, but instead they ignored the cries of the poor and oppressed that were in their midst. They were supposed to live according to God's plan and agenda and mission, but instead they chose to be defined by the value systems of the world that was around them. They were not living according to God's design or his plan. And because of that, they had violated a long history of covenants given to them by God. And sometimes I think we forget the depth of all this, not just for God's people in the Old Testament, but for our own lives as well. Uh, We all know that the kids have either gone back to school or they're getting ready to go back to school right and, and what's the first thing that happens when they arrive back at school the teachers stand up we have a lot of teachers in this room uh, the teachers stand up in front of the, the class and uh, they begin to set the expectations for their classrooms right that's one of the first things uh, that we do and this happens at all sorts of levels from from preschool kids to elementary skid- kids all the way up to college kids right In fact, in college, we give them a syllabus, which is in its own way a covenant. You do this and you get this. You don't do this and you don't get this, right? And so we all know the classroom. Uh, We all know the kind of expectations and then the punishments that come if those expectations are broken. Sometimes the punishments are simple, like a lunch detention, uh, or they could be as severe as failing a class, but we all know what that image is really all about. But often we think of that when it comes to God's law and God's expectation for us. We break the rules, that's simple enough, but in reality, the scriptures want us to see that it is much deeper than just a simple breaking of the rules. And I think that's what Jeremiah is trying to communicate in this prophecy here. The second half of verse 32 is, it keys in on a very powerful image. It says this, My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And I think what Jeremiah is helping us to see is this that sin certainly is covenant-breaking. But we also have to realize that it is a spiritual adultery, that every time we break the covenant or break that relationship with God, it's as if we are committing a spiritual adultery. It is the ultimate violation of our relationship with God. Think for a moment about the, the sting of adultery when it happens in the middle of a marriage relationship. You, you think of the, the sense of betrayal, the, the violation of what is to be the most intimate of all relationships. It's, it's a pain that just seems to cut deeper than any other pain that maybe life has to offer. And that is how God is describing to us what covenant breaking really is. It is a spiritual adultery. In short, we have, we have cheated on our divine husband each time we break the covenant, each time we sin against our God. And so for Jeremiah, there are certainly consequences for this. And in many ways, by the time Jeremiah is, is communicating his prophecies, the consequences have already been determined and handed down. The verdict had come, been come to, the sentencing, the sentencing had concluded, and God's people were about to reap the fruit of their sins. And of course, we know that the Assyrians and the Babylonians conquer God's people and send them into exile. This is all the occasion of Jeremiah's prophecy as he talks about uh, this in his his book. Now, my wife and I, Becca, we have four kids, and often what we find when we're uh, talking to our kids or even disciplining our kids, we'll say things like this. I love you, you know that we love you, but here are the consequences of your behavior. I think most parents say this sort of thing. And I think in many ways that is what God is saying here through the prophet Jeremiah. I love you, but here are the consequences of your covenant violation. But that I love you that God is saying here to his people is important. Because he's saying I love you and that means I'm not gonna give up on you. My love is just as strong and secure within the consequences of your sin But we have to deal with the fact that you've acted wickedly and you need to bear some of the consequences of that wickedness. But in the midst of those consequences, know that I am not gonna give up on you. In fact, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something wholly new to address sin and death once and for all. In fact, everything that I have hinted at is now about to come to fruition. The new covenant brings us to God's climax in his story of redemption. And what we learn through all the scriptures is that Jesus is the one who brings that new covenant. If you look two chapters later in Jeremiah's prophecies, he says this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promises I made in the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You see, what Jeremiah is saying is this. He's saying all the promises that have come before, all the the promises inherent in all these covenants that have come before, they are now about to be realized in their fullness the promise that God will never give up and that he will send a rescuer that he made to Adam and Eve, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise that God will protect his chosen ones from his wrath, that promise that he made to Noah, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise that God will bless us and give us a future, the promises made to Abraham, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, that promise is made possible in Jesus. The promise of a legacy and eternity made to David, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And it becomes even more than that because now the power to fully transform our hearts through the once and for all accomplishment of forgiveness, that is made available to us in Jesus. Verse 34, probably the most profound sentence in the whole passage, says this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You see, friends, all of the plot lines of God's work in history, they all tie together in one climax. They all tie together in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, just before Jesus heads to the cross, the Gospels tell us he draws his disciples together for one last Passover meal with his friends, with his disciples he's become close to, and he says this, we say it every week when we come to the table, he says this, This cup is the what? It's the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The words of Jeremiah that, that no doubt the disciples knew had to be ringing in their ears when Jesus declared these words at that last supper. But before that new covenant could be inaugurated, Jesus would have to suffer. He would have to suffer the fate of a covenant breaker. In fact, what the gospel tells us is this. The only innocent one, the only true covenant keeper would need to suffer the punishment that was deserved for covenant breakers. And he did it so that we, you and I, who are covenant breakers, could receive the blessing that comes from having perfectly kept the covenant. This is the power of the new covenant that has come in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians talks all about this. It says, For our sake he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, friends, Jesus brings the new covenant. He is the one that brings the plot lines of God's story all together. He is the rescuer that our hearts most long for. He is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to us. I want you to think for a minute about uh, how you feel when you get something that's new, right? Maybe you go out and you buy something that's new. Maybe you go out and you buy an outfit and you can't wait to do what? You can't wait to go out and wear the outfit and show it off to all your friends and a family. Maybe you go out and buy a new car, right? And what do you do? You pull it up in the driveway. You hope all the neighbors are looking and they can come see your brand new car. You drive it around and show it to all your friends or, or maybe you buy a brand new house and what do you do? You you throw a housewarming party, and you have all your friends come and see this new house to get to be a part of it. But eventually, with all those new things that we buy, what happens? The newness in those things wear out, right? The car just isn't as exciting as it once was. The house you discover has all these creaks you didn't think it had before. The outfit feels old and tired. The newness wears out. Well, what's so beautiful about what the scriptures tell us about this new covenant is that the newness of this covenant never wears off. We experience it now, and we will continue to experience the newness of it for all of eternity. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, it tells us this. It tells us that that new covenant will persist for all of eternity but that that new covenant will also be consummated in one final wedding feast. We've got a couple of weddings in our church uh, this fall, and if you look at the scriptures, you'll discover something really profound: that the scriptures start with a wedding and they end with a wedding. They start with the wedding of Adam and Eve, and they end with an equally beautiful, if not more beautiful, wedding between Jesus Christ Himself. And his bride, which he calls the church, his people, you and I. We will be a part of that ultimate wedding feast if we are God's own. That final wedding feast between Jesus himself and his bride, his people, his church. And Revelation 19 tells us what God's people are wearing. It tells us what our outfit is for that final wedding. It says this. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And catch this, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You see, friends, we as God's children, we get to wear white to this wedding. We get to wear white We, the covenant breakers, the spiritually adulterous, we get to wear garments of purity to that final wedding. Not because we are pure in and of ourselves, but because we have been washed in the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of our sins has been secured. And so the image I want to finally leave you with, which is also from the book of Revelation, that talks about the finality and the consummation of this new covenant, is this. And I heard a loud voice from the, hev- from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anywhere. for the former things, the old, have all passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this: "Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray.